Good morning. Welcome to Summit Ridge Community Church. My name is Eric Birch. I'm one of the associate pastors here. I want to welcome everybody um, online. Uh, since, as uh, many of you know, we are only doing online today. Uh, we finally have 2020 in our view, view mirror. I know for most of us, we are very grateful uh, to be able to say that. Uh, 2020 has been a challenging year. Amen. Uh, clearly, since we're doing today's message online only and not meeting in the church, it is clear that much of 2020 is following us into 2021. We still see all sorts of suffering. Uh, the COVID pandemic is still going strong with much of the world in lockdown. A vaccine is starting to be rolled out, but not going as quick as we would like. We are seeing food shortages, evictions, civil unrest, crime, all the usual things going on. Racial tension is still going on strong. Political division between the extreme right and left is still going on strong. And so we kind of wonder at times, why is all of this happening? We want to know why. And for those of us that believe in a God larger than ourselves, we often want to wonder why God isn't doing more about what's going on. Why doesn't God do fill in the blank? And we're going to look today at what kind of God people want or think they want and what type of God we actually have. Because people have an opinion of what God is like or what God should be like from their perspective. I'll listen to people say, well, I can't believe that a loving God would and then fill in the blank with whatever opinion they have that they don't agree with in Scripture. And, of course, we can list quite a few of those. Now, I think that the question of who your God is and what kind of God he is as far as what he is like and what he does is probably one of the most important questions you can ask yourself and that you need to resolve. More consequences of your life follow from that one question than from any other question you might think of. So it's vitally important in your mind that you know who your God is and what your God is like. I can guarantee that no matter who you are and what you believe about your God, those logical consequences of your answer to that one question will impact you and those around you more than any other question you could address. Your morality, your language, the way you treat other human beings, your private values, how you handle money, how you treat your sexuality, etc. All of those are the results of who you believe your God is uh, and what your God is like. No decision that you could make will have a more important impact on your life. Now, I want to make two statements to frame kind of what we're talking about today. The first is, everybody has a God. And what I mean by that is that God is something that they worship, something that they put their faith in. It could be something theistic or not. Often people, their faith is in themselves. But it is what they put their faith into that is their God. Second, everyone has a religion. By that, I mean Everyone has a cause, principle, or system of beliefs that they hold with ardor and faith. The term faith is important 
Because faith is a complete trust or confidence in someone or something, often without material proof. So it's something we believe in that we can't run and check in a, in a, you know, a science lab, uh, but it's something that we believe and we hold true uh, to what we do. Now, I'm certain there are those here that would argue that um, not everyone has a God. But I think when you look at those kind of definitions, everyone has something that they put their faith in. Well, maybe not the agnostics. Um, I once heard of a dyslexic agnostic insomniac who stayed awake all night wondering if there really was a dog. Interesting, uh, a Pew survey showed that 74% of the world's population believe in some higher power. God, if you will. But they believe in something larger than themselves. So, when you wonder about that they believe in a God, you wonder, what is that God like? What should that God be like? In other words, if it was up to them, here's what they want their God to be. This is what they want their God to be like. Um, so I went to the source of all knowledge, the Internet, and I Googled it. And after getting through the first 40 or 50 pages of church sites, which, of course, will tell you what God is really like, uh, I found some of the answers that were out there with um, regular folks. Now, it may surprise you that a lot of the answers that came back were close to right. And what I mean by close to right, they're close to who God actually is. But typically they've added a little or subtract a little from what God is actually like, which shouldn't surprise us because we're created in God's image. So we should have a certain amount of awareness of who God really is, sort of innately in how we're created. For instance, most people believe that God should be all-powerful. We call that omnipotent. Most people in the Western Hemisphere, in a way, believe that God should be loving, and indeed he is. The Bible tells us, though, that God is also just. Most people not as fond of justice as they are with loving. Unless, of course, it's out there to punish someone else. I get it uh, kind of funny when I hear people that want justice for their enemies, but mercy and grace for themselves. Uh, most folks want a God that is good, specifically good in their own perspective of what good is. Not necessarily good as the Bible describes good. There's a few folks out there that believe that God looks like Morgan Freeman in a white suit. But most people believe that God is spiritual, uh, non-bodily. Most people believe that God has the power to affect things that happen in their lives. We call that providential or deterministic or sovereign. And sort of the degree to which you believe in that kind of has to do with where you stand in the balance between God and free will, your ability to act however you please. I found it particularly interesting that, well, many people do not see God as a single theistic power, but instead see it sort of as an overlying force. Uh, and you'll hear it called uh, theistic evolution, uh, the, the watchmaker, where you know God put everything into motion, wound up the clock, and then just let it go. And he's sort of just been watching ever since. But it's the most convenient type of God. C.S. Lewis writes about it in the book Mere Christianity. And he writes, one reason why many people find creative evolution so attractive is that it gives one much of the emotional comfort of believing in God 
and none of the less pleasant consequences. When you are feeling fit and the sun is shining and you do not want to believe that the whole universe is a mere mechanical dance of atoms, it is nice to be able to think of a great mysterious force rolling on through the centuries and carrying you on the crest. If, on the other hand, you want to do something rather shabby, the life force being only a blind force with no morals and no mind will never interfere with you like that troublesome God we learned about when we were children. God is sort of an insurance policy. And it's interesting when I talk to people about God, a lot of what they don't like about God is that there is a set of standards that God goes by, moral standards that God goes by. So often the first thoughts that people have about something is not quite correct, but they may be open to clarity if we present the truth in a manner that encourages thoughtfulness and not judgmentalism. And when I say that is that when I witness to people, one of the first things I like to do is ask them about God. Do they believe in God? Do they believe in a higher power? And if they do, what is that higher power like? And often, like I said, they'll have an idea that's close to actually right. And they may be receptive to talking about it when you recognize that we're not judging, we just want to talk about the truth. For instance, uh, I had a friend that had a cat named Ben-Hur. And I asked him, where would you come up with a name for a cat like Ben-Hur? He said, well, the kids named him Ben, so we found out it was a girl. So once you're presented with the truth, you may be more comfortable to make a shift from where you believe to what the truth is. Now, we've been from, uh, through a very difficult year. And again, we're entering a new year that still has many challenges. And as many of you recall, during the period around 9-11, there is a lot of people looking for answers. They just believe that with all the chaos and everything going on, there must be something bigger. There must be something larger. There must be something more important than this rat race that we call life. And so I believe again today that we have people that are looking to find God. They are trying to fill that emptiness that's inside of them that's telling them this isn't working. And what they've pictured, what they've created, the God that they have, isn't the real God. It's something that's close and comfortable, but it's not the real God. And it's our responsibility to bring to them who that real God is, what kind of God he actually is. So today I wanted to talk about what God is actually like. And I want to look specifically at six characteristics of God that I think most people can accept and that is foundational when we share with others the truth about God. Now, clearly six characteristics does not even begin to fully describe God. But again, it sets a foundation for how we can talk to people about God. God loves us and chose to reveal his nature, his thoughts to us through his son, through his word, and through the spirit. It's our responsibility to go out and share that with everyone else. So let's go through these six characteristics. First, God is knowable. That is, God, the creator of the universe in all of its magnitude and creative details, is not hidden. He need not be distant. 
He need not be someone out there. He's a personal God. He welcomes us into relationships so that we can get to know him in a personal way as we might a close friend. Not only can we know about him, we can know him intimately. John 10.14 says, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. You recall back in November, we looked at the I am statements that Jesus Christ made and how Jesus was the good shepherd. And he was the shepherd of his people. He was good. And he was the only one who could give his life for his people. He was indeed the good shepherd. He who knows those who trust in him, or he knows those who trust in him, and we can know him, and he wants us to know him. Those that trust and believe in him can know him. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true and eternal life. Through word and spirit, we can know Jesus Christ as the true shepherd, and as we can know God as truly and we can know God as truly as he is, not as we would have him be. We can know the real God. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24 read, Thus saith the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. Let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and he knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. To know God is to know what he is like. He exercises loving kindness, justice, righteousness. To know God is to know that he is good, that he cannot do evil. Number two, God is welcoming God invites us to talk to him, to bring to him what concerns us. We don't have to get our act together first. Neither do we have to be polite, theologically correct, or holy. It's okay to yell at God. It's okay to be angry with God. He knows our heart. He knows us. And he will help us through that process. He's big enough. In his nature, he is loving and accepting when we go to him. Psalm 145, verses 17 through 19 says, The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. To all who call upon him in truth, he will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. God wants to hear from his people. Again, he's not this God out in the who knows where. He's a personal God who wants to spend time with you, to know you, to talk to you. He wants to share your fears, your struggles, your desires. He wants to comfort you with the truth. He knows your heart. If you ever wonder whether God knows your heart, go read Psalm 139. That's one of my favorite psalms. It just tells us how much God knows us. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30 reads, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, there are religions out there that present God as cruel, vindictive, and capricious. But nothing could be farther from the truth. Our God is loving, gentle, and unchanging. And he wants you and I to find rest in him. We shouldn't fear him in the sense that we're worried about what he might do next. We know what he'll do. He does what he promises, and we can trust him. Number three, God is creative. Everything we make is put together with existing materials or built on previous thoughts. God has the capacity of speaking things into existence, not just galaxies and life forms, but solutions to today's problems. God is creative for us today. His power is something he wants us to be aware of and rely on. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So in Genesis 1, we read how God created everything from nothing. The creative act that put everything in place. An incredibly beautiful, logical, and complicated world created by his word. We just look around us and we can see the amazing creative powers that God has demonstrated. One of the most amazing ones is what we look at is the way he built the human body. Psalm 139, 13 and 14 reads, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And my soul knows it very well. And he created us with those same creative powers. The amazing complexity of a human being is ever folding before us. We are created in his image and have the ability to create as well. Psalm 121 verses 1 to 3 read, I will lift up my eyes to the mountain. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He will keep you. He who keeps you will not slumber. The creator of the universe is always there watching for you. He's watching out for you. He has your best interests in mind. He does not slumber, and his power is there to protect you. Number four, God is just and forgiving. Now, this shouldn't surprise most of the folks watching, but we sin. We tend to do things our way instead of God's way. When we witness to others, it's important that we make that point. We can't honestly witness to someone else without recognizing that we are sinners and that we need God. That is part of the truth. We sin individually and we sin before God. And God sees it and knows it. God does not merely overlook such sin, but is prepared to judge and condemn people because of their sin. However, God is forgiving and will forgive us from the moment we begin to have a relationship with him. Jesus, the Son of God, paid for our sin with his death on a cross. He rose from the dead and offers us Forgiveness. 
During Advent, I was privileged to present a message on the hope of wisdom and pointed out that the wisdom of God is the word on the cross. Before the beginning of the world, God knew that an acceptable sacrifice would be necessary for him to be just and that mankind would be unable to fill the requirements. So he planned to provide his one and only son for the sacrifice, knowing that while forgiveness and relationship would be available to all, only some would take advantage of it. Jesus died for everyone and gives everyone willing to believe in him the ability to get forgiveness of their sins and to have a relationship with God. Unfortunately, not everybody takes advantage of that. Not because it's not offered, but because they choose not to. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 25. But now apart from the law of righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. So we have all the sin and a deserving of death, but God has a different plan for us. Paying a debt we cannot pay to receive forgiveness we do not deserve, Jesus Christ died for us, and through his resurrection, the eternal promise of life with him for those who believe. Number five, God is trustworthy and he is honest. What he says, we can trust. What he promises, we can count on. When God promises us forgiveness, eternal life, a relationship with himself, we can believe that. We can trust in that. God is telling the truth. Jesus emphasized this many, many times in the scriptures when he would start saying, truly, I say to you. What God revealed about himself and how to live on this earth is reliable information. Sure that our feelings, our thoughts, our limited perceptions of what's real, God is totally accurate and honest in what he says. Every promise he makes to us can be treated as truth. He means it. We can take him at his word. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ago. God cannot lie. He cannot do evil. We can trust his word as truth. Second Samuel chapter 22, verses 31 and 32. As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tested. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God beside the Lord? And who is a rock besides our God? God has been tested for thousands and thousands of years and can be trusted. It's interesting when people say that uh, some of these other you know, prophets... Um, Forget the one that uh, was real popular that, you know, he was accurate at least 50% of the time. 
God's been accurate 100% of the time. No prophecy of God has ever come up false. All right, number six, God is capable. How would you like to be 100% right about everything all the time? Yeah, well, God is. His wisdom is unlimited. His understand, he understands all the elements of his situation, including the history and the future events. He knows everything there is to know about his situation. We don't have to update him. We don't have to counsel him. We don't have to persuade him to do the right thing. It's what he does. He's God. He knows everything and he always does the right thing. He will because he is capable and his motives are pure. He will never make a mistake, never undercut us or deceive us. He can be fully trusted to do what is right in all circumstances at all times. Very unlike the world we live in today with the people in it. Psalm 27 verses 1 through 4. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? What when evildoers come upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of all this, I shall be confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. The creator of the universe is not only capable to do what he says, but he is willing to do it what he says. No matter what you're going through, we have a God who's capable of leading you through it. Psalm chapter uh, 25, verses 1 to 5 reads, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies exalt over me. Indeed, some of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. Make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your path. Lead me in your truth and teach me. You are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. This is who God tells us who he is. God is knowable. He's welcoming. He's creative. He's just and forgiving. He's trustworthy and honest, and he is capable. God is the God we should want him to be. And that is the God we should share with the world. We are in hurting times. Fear is running amok. There is little out in the world that we can really trust in. There's too much hate and not enough love. Truth is hard to find. Yet in all of this, we have a God who loves us and wants the best for us. Don't forget that. When we share our testimony with people, reach out to them. Share them the God who is. Again, be receptive to what they believe and guide them to the God who really is, what God is really like. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11 through 13 reads, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. 
Lord, we are just so grateful that we have a God that is who you are. While we may be tempted to want other characteristics or you to be different than the way you really are, we realize, Lord, that in all humility, you are God above all gods. We're grateful for the Son who died for us to give us the relationship we have with you. We pray, Lord, to open the path to those who don't know you to guide us in sharing your word with them. And again, just grateful for all the opportunities you've given us, Lord. 